Hello, world, everyone. How are you doing? And welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each week, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Today, with me is Dr. Lindsay Padilla. People, now you know I've been talking about how educators need to monetize and make their money. Mm -hmm. She is doing it. Uh, came across my feed on Twitter. And once I started checking her out, and academics means business, and I checked out her podcast, I was like, who is this person and how can I get her on my show? And so I reached out and she said, yes. And today is going to be a great conversation. Mm -hmm. Again, she is the founder and host of Academics Mean Business, and we're going to get into that in this podcast. So we're going to be talking about her entrepreneurial journey, her podcast, uh, what she's doing as an entrepreneur, and hopefully that will inspire you to take that first step to monetize your talents and stop giving away your genius for free. So for those who will be watching on YouTube in the future and listening on iTunes and Pod, iTunes and SoundCloud, Dr. Lindsay, will you please introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. Oh, this is so fun. Um, yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, I left academia two years ago, uh, walked away from my full-time tenure track position teaching sociology at a community college in Northern California. And I accidentally started a business somewhere in that. And maybe we'll get into those details. But right now I run a business called Course Power. And I help entrepreneurs, uh, influential experts, people online monetize through digital products. And I help them teach better, which, you know, we know how to do in this space. Uh, and they need a lot of help. So there's, there's room for more of us out there. But yeah, I basically help them turn their, their content, their processes into consumable, you know, digital uh, experiences because we both, we all know, uh, Dr. Will included, that, you know, online teaching is very different than in-person teaching, but there's mm -hmm. also a skill set um, to that that a lot of these entrepreneurs don't know. So yeah, so that's what I've built my business around and that's a little bit about how I got here. Awesome. So let's talk about your journey. Yeah. When did you notice that there was something missing in your life and your career that you said, I'm walking away from what normally people are saying. This is the golden ticket. This is, is it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's what a great question. And um, it's one of those things where I think it's like compounded, you know, decisions or, or experiences that then the moment of deciding uh, it feels like it just happened in that moment. Um, you know, I'll be honest, I got my, um, I've, I've completed my dissertation, defended my dissertation, my first semester in my full-time position. So um, that fall, I was wrapping up my dissertation and defending it. And I mean, I had spent the last you know, 30 years in education at some point, right? Starting from when I was in kindergarten all the way up to me getting a teaching credential, going on to grad school and getting a master's in sociology, and then deciding to get um, an EDD uh, in international multicultural education. So I just always did school. And the other side of the dissertation, for those of you who have written it, um, you know, know that like there is this kind of sadness of like, oh, now what am I going to do? Yes. Um, yeah. And so it, I found this weird space where I had created this writing practice in the morning because I was also teaching at the time. And so this is going to sound funny, but I started working out um, <laughs> and like getting healthy. And it actually was through um, a multi-level marketing company or, you know, a network marketing company is sometimes what they're called. And so what that experience showed me was that I was missing like well, I, I mean, I was missing the self-care that we tend to put to the side in academia, all of us like type A kind of achievers. Um, and I'll be honest, I'm missing it again, but that's, a, that's another conversation. Um, but I started to take care of myself. And yeah, it happened through a multi-level marketing company. And basically what happened was, is like, oh, I'm good at this. I feel awesome. I would love to help other people feel as awesome as I do. And, you know, I was making, you know, an extra thousand dollars a month. And it was something I never thought 
I would need to do or want to do because I think, again, like pursuing that like teaching position, that holy grail like job, like once you get it, you're like, okay, so that's it. And then, and then, you know, the room for growth and adding into your income, at least in academic circles was very like, oh, real estate investment or, you know, that kind of thing. Or like, how are you funding your retirement? Or like, what's your union doing for you? And that was it. And I was just like, okay. And then it was just like, we make it work. And so when I had this extra thousand dollars, it was like, oh, people are making money online and this is actually kind of fun. Um, and that was the beginning of me recognizing that, yeah, that, that my salary wasn't enough, I guess. Um, I was also on the union. I was, in, I was like a head negotiator at one of my schools and then involved at the campus that I was tenure track. And um, yeah, there's, there's something, it's tough every year going back to the admin begging for like a percent, you know? And when you start to make your own money, you're like, it starts to hit you and you start to see it in a different way. And you're like, oh, like, what if I controlled it? And instead of asking other people for how can I like increase or take on those extra stipends, which we all know <laughs> never <laughs> covers what the amount of work is, right? Mm -hmm. So like there's, is, so I think there, you know, academics have these like limited choices when it comes to adding income streams. Um, and I was really also looking at, you know, the typical language out there of like, oh, how can you have a budget so you can da da da? And it's, that's always like removing things. And it's like, what if you grow the things? Mm. Um, and so that was the beginning for me. And then like a series of little shifts happened along the way where I realized, oh, I don't want to sell someone else's products. And then I started shifting into kind of realizing I could sell my own stuff. Um, and I say I accidentally started a business because I don't think it was even in those moments when I was doing the multi-level marketing that I ever thought I would leave. Um, but once you start to value your time in a different way, like exchanging dollars for hours in some sense, um, yeah, my, my mindset shifted a little bit. I hear you. And I hear you. It's interesting that you brought up that sort of void you feel mm. once the dissertation is over because I couldn't believe it because while I was writing it, I was ready to be done. Like I wrote, <laughs> right. I wrote <laughs> totally. five in a day and a half, right? And mm -hmm. I turned it in, and the chair was like, "Look, you just just take your time, okay? This is not this is not this is not good. Take your time <laughs> with." It. But, but I was like, "Look, I'm like, look, I need this out of my life, okay? I just need <laughs> this out of my life." And so I spent another week on it, and I turned it in, and then she was like. Okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. Now let's send this to the committee. But when mm -hmm. I was done, you know, particularly, you know, when they tell you, oh, you know, how many doctors do we have in this? You know, like four. I'm like, oh, that means okay, I got it. Yay! And then I'm like, <laughs> what's next? What's next? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. I've been writing almost every day. Like, mm-hmm. Wow, that that is an unbelievable experience because. I don't think anyone tells you that this is going to happen. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And yeah. And it's almost like anticlimactic too, right? Like then you defend and you get it. And then you're like, oh, like this is what I was working towards. I mean, it's always one of those things where you spend a ton of time on something. And then when it actually happens, you're like, oh, it's about the journey. I get it. I get it. Everyone. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> for sure. It was awesome. Sure. Awesome. So uh, people, hopefully you're still with me. Uh, I know that we kind of jumped the shark a little bit, uh, but yeah. <laughs> uh, how did you find your purpose and how did you turn that into a business? Mm. I mean, I feel like I'm even more landing on it a little bit. So I'll, I'll be one of the first people to say that like, sometimes that purpose might feel fleeting and taking some of those actions makes you realize what it, what it really is. Mm. Um, and I'll also be honest and say that, you know, I always felt that teaching was my deep, like, purpose, that that was my vocation. Um, and so what's happened is, you know, it hasn't changed too much. Um, I do feel like business has showed me what my gifts really are and how they can be best, you know, utilized. And that in an institution, that wasn't exactly what was happening. Um, I, I had a lot of freedom and I think that's why, you know, I became a professor was to have a lot of the, that freedom, but there were some things that felt like I wasn't fully in control and that at any moment, yeah, they could take away my healthcare or, you know, and we're noticing this left and right, um, that there is a lot out of our hands, even though it's a very 
comfortable job that a lot of people deserve. Like everyone deserves healthcare and everyone deserves like an employment that is stable. Um, so yeah, part of me felt a little guilty in, in that and like deciding to leave, but the purpose felt bigger than the impact I was going to make every semester in a classroom. Mm. And, um, so turning that into a business, it, it was like, and, and that I think I've stepped even more to, well, like it's more into, I'm stepping into a bigger version of who I was, you know, even when I first started my business, it felt like I was just kind of taking a leap of faith a little bit of like, this mm -hmm. is something and I feel called to do it. And it may not be what everyone thinks I should do, but it, but, but then even that people were very, people surprised me. I thought, I thought my colleagues would judge me. I thought um, my family would be like, what are you doing? Like, this is what you worked for. And in fact, they were like, oh my gosh, go for it. Like, you know, you figured it out. Like, that's what lots of people said. So I had that extra push, kick out the door. And I think turning it into a business, I mean, in those early stages, I thought I was going to do health coaching. And I really did love it. And that was what I was positioning myself as um, after I decided not to sell that product. And you know what? Sometimes you need other people to reflect back to you how you can best help people. Um, and I was at my first business conference ever. And I was sitting next to actually, a, you know, what who many would say would be an influencer. Um, she's really, she has a lot of courses on blogging and Pinterest and um, she, her revenue is, is awesome. Definitely in the seven figures. Uh, so this was this, you know, amazing business owner I was sitting next to at, at a lunch. And um, she had mentioned that she wished people just finished her Pinterest course. Like, man, I made this amazing course. It totally works. Like, how can I just get them to do the work? And so I just asked her some questions about teaching online because uh, I'd been doing that my entire teaching career. I'd, I'd always had online courses. I, I kind of loved them. Mm -hmm. And uh, just like that, she looks me in the eye and she's like, why aren't you telling everyone how to do this? <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? Like, you mean my 30 years of my life and everything I've studied and what I've been obsessed with forever could be a business? <laughs> and so it took her saying that to me, like, and this is again, somebody who went to school for education, who taught online for like, you know, up to 10 years, probably if I went back far enough. And I didn't see that as a business opportunity. I, I just did what I was doing right before that in making money. Um, so my path might be a little different, but I think if you're considering starting a business, really thinking about like, what are you good at? What do you love? What could you talk forever about? And how, like, how can you meet the market or, you know, how can you meet a need in the world to solve a problem? And there's a business in there if you're solving a problem. Um, and so I think my finding my purpose has grown with me and it's gotten more clear the more action I took in my business because I don't think you just wake up one day and say, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. It's kind of one of those moments that feels like you trip over it sometimes. Mm. Um, and, and then there's the mindset stuff of like really going like, Oh wow. You know, my purpose may very well be showing other academics, like how I did. That's a really big thing. And I, I could feel how big that was, but I also felt how big it, it is to help people teach better in, in these online courses that people are paying thousands of dollars for, you know, they better be teaching that well. So, um, yeah, your purpose kind of, kind of grows with you as you really step into your power. And I'm going to stick with this question a bit because both on your end, uh, coming from higher ed and where I am mm -hmm. in K through 12, all of us enter into this field with the whole idea of teaching and moving students and mm. changing the world mm -hmm. and these grandiose ideas. All of us move into that. Yep. And even though you move in and you know, okay, I may cap out at $70,000 a year, uh, but look, you know, this is my money, you know, we're, we're not, even, and we know, ooh, mm -hmm. all of us know <laughs> what that check look like, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but none of us got into the field to make money, no. and so yep. when you, you think of the idea of 
let me monetize my talents. Let me mm. monetize what I'm already doing. Because as you mentioned earlier, when you were talking to that influencer, and she said, well, mm-hmm. why aren't you doing this? Because this, was, this has been your life. Like, this is your yeah. schedule that you've uh-huh. been doing. Um, what is the process of going from academia to entrepreneurship? What is the process like? Oh gosh, <laughs> it's messy. Um, it's messy. And I mean, I think, yeah, as an academic, as somebody, yeah, who is, you know, doing research and stuff, imposter syndrome is there all the time. I mean, it is there as I'm, you know, stepping into being a CEO, like, do I know what I'm doing? And then I remind myself, no one knows what they're doing. <laughs> We're all just trying to figure it out, right? Like one step at a time. So um, the process is messy, but Um, I think teachers and, you know, and particularly professors like in in that space, I, um, you know, I did do K through 12 for a hot second. I did do my teaching credential and I, I yeah, so I did do it for a hot second. So I have a taste. Um, I also was like, this is too crazy. (laughs) I'm going to go. No, um, I know I actually went to go, yeah, become a better sociologist so I can help my students. And, um, but yeah, you know, I think professors have a little more free time that what I find, and at least in my experience and a lot of the folks I interview too, um, and, and I would say probably similarly for K through 12, is some of the free time that we do have, and I say free in air quotes, we actually like give back to the institution in some way, mm-hmm. um, either through our students or through serving, right, the, the greater good of the institution. And that's awesome. And, you know, that still needs to happen, but there was a lot of over-giving, a lot of over-delivering. And part of me started to say, well, what if I took back some of that chunk of time? Like, maybe I don't need to be on three committees because my contract actually only says one. Like, maybe I don't need to pick up this extra course. Maybe I don't need to go to professional development this month because I actually could make a sale in my business that is the cost of whatever they're going to charge me at the end of the year. So that, and this, these were questions I'd never considered before. And once I started to say, how do I fulfill my contract and do my job as a professor? Because that was still, you know, obviously very important to me, but also where am I maybe giving too much and how can I take some of that time back and, you know, put it in, reinvest it into myself, my talents, my business. And so that semester when I had decided, because that fall semester was when I knew I was leaving, um, uh, I started to make that, those kind of decisions. And um, it was around the mindset of like, oh, time is money. Now I know what that means. I think when you're a salaried professional, you don't really think about it like that. Like I never was really thinking like when I'm sitting in office hours, oh, this is $100. Like why would I think that? Like I'm just serving my students. But when you run a business, it's actually very literal. Like, you know, am I doing a task that um, I could hire out for cheaper or am I doing a task that could potentially lead to thousands of dollars? And I'm just like, mine is being blown because when you get a paycheck, you don't think like that. When you work for somebody, you don't think like that. And so that was in there too for me. And so I think, you know, that process was really unlearning some of the stuff that I I thought around work and labor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then And then also, you know, recognizing, and I think it goes back to this impact piece and, you know, to speak to how you opened, you know, yeah, this is what makes actually, this is what I think makes teachers and academics and, you know, at all walks of life, educators, um, amazing entrepreneurs is because we know what it means to be passionate about something and really care about humans like in it, like just literally care about helping others we we come from a place of service so when you start when you put that into entrepreneurship um that really can benefit you because you can use your passion to fuel you because we know what that looks like and then we're disciplined and educated and have a skill set that is really beneficial to entrepreneurship that i think some people that haven't you know, didn't, yeah, didn't choose a profession that served in that way or for those reasons that it wasn't about the money, it actually can serve you in entrepreneurship. But it, you know, it is a double-edged sword because the other side of that is 
you tend not to see your talents mm. as this thing that's like valuable or marketable or worth like money. And that was and is still something that I continue to work on because it is a money kind of mindset issue for me. Um, but those are, but, it, but I, I like to kind of flip it and say there are some very true and real positives about why educators make for good business owners in the world that we're in today, in the digital kind of market space. I think we have a lot to offer um, because of those like internal, like we love and care about knowledge and people. Mm-hmm. So once you had that aha moment, mm. how did you start to build your business around delivering courses or teaching That's a great question. how to do courses. Yes. Yeah. One of my first steps I made, I mean, and this is instantly upon returning home from that conference, because luckily that, uh, that meeting with that entrepreneur happened at the very beginning. It was the first lunch break. So I spent that whole conference just downloading, just like, Oh my gosh, this is what my blah, blah, blah. So I go home and I had started to build, you know, relationships online. You know, you, you talk about building a lot of relationships on Twitter. Um, I was doing a lot of, you know, Facebook interaction and in Facebook groups and stuff like that. And I basically just reached out to people that were right around me. Um, and that's the thing with online businesses, uh, the way they leverage and diversify their, their income streams is often through a digital course product. So pretty much everyone who has a business, it either has or will have a course. Um, so again, just an urge out there, like if you really are passionate about teaching, there is a lot of people out there that need our help. Um, but yeah, so, you know, they, I basically just said, Hey, I can help someone with this. Is there anyone who needs help? And like instantly someone's like, I'm working on a course and I'm scared. I don't know how to structure it. Um, and so I just said, Hey, I'd love to hop on an hour call and see what it feels like. So I took that experience and it was just, it was so, it was just, I remember this and all of you listening, if you're an, you know, educators, it's like the language I use, like learning outcome and like assessment or like <laughs> feedback loop or like, yeah, student learning outcome specifically, which in higher ed, like, uh, could make my head spin. All things that people were like, whoa, you're the smartest person ever. And it's like you just take something that is such an industry inside term and use it in a different industry. I mean, it's helpful to us as educators, but when it comes down from like admin, it's a whole other feeling to it. But yeah, yeah, go use it in the entrepreneur space. And they're just like, oh my gosh, I never thought about a course like this. And it's like, yeah, because no one's teaching you how to teach. (laughs) Of course you haven't. So it was just instant credibility, basically. Like there's confidence in being able to help someone with a skill that is, you know, practically innate, um, something that I've just been doing for so long. Um, and so from there, it just kind of snowballed. Like once you get your first client, and that's why it's a great first step is to just kind of reach out and to say, can I help you with this problem? And like, if, and if you do it for free, And, you know, you can play with that a little bit. It doesn't have to be free. But if you do it in a way that feels awesome, maybe you can do a trade with another entrepreneur. I did a lot of trades early on as well to help me, like, maybe build my website. I would trade. And I'm getting experience and also working with capital in a different way. Um, You know, be careful about that, but it's possible. There are people out there that need help. And those early stages, it's a great give and take uh, as you build your business. Um, But, yeah, you know, you just start getting testimonials. Uh, you start helping people in a great way and then, and then, you know, lo and behold, you have a a service and then you price it and then you talk about that service and you start booking people and getting them in the calendar. And then, then you, you know, you're booked out, which is a, a great term to use, but then also helps people go like, oh, wow, she's legit and has this service. And so that's kind of the beginning, um, and starting, and that's like from a very like service based, uh, job, which is what I was doing. Um, there are ways though, also to start with like digital products and info products. Um, but the key is to really be like, have an, an audience around you that like knows you. So showing up online and social media in a way that's like, oh, this person knows something and and um, they're teaching me something with their content. Like, I'd love to spend $100 for them to solve this problem. Um, But I I just started specifically with service-based. So I just wanted to make that clear. But Mm -hmm. those were some of my first steps. And then the website, I threw together really quickly, Squarespace. I mean, we're in such an age, and I say this on my podcast a lot, where 
it's like really easy to start a business. There's not a lot of overhead. There's not a lot that you have to spend on. Um, how can you bring some cash in? Um, and for me, and this is what's cool about having a job like, you know, in education is we got summers off. We got some holidays and some weekends, you know, and um, we got some breaks in there, right? And we know when they're coming. If you can, you know, build some extra things in that time, we have a lot more time that is given to us than some of the other nine to five type jobs, right? And so it is a gift for us to be able to, you know, use that time to turn it into a business. It, it is very possible. So, um, so yeah, so I made a lot of those decisions. That summer was when I built and booked out my, my like offer. And so I knew heading into fall that it was, pro that it was likely that at the end of the semester I was going to be able to walk away. And that's what I was able to do. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, see now, <laughs> whew, uh, my wife and I have designed a course. Cool. Um, and I just need to add like an intro video and an outro, outro video and then, you know, put it out there. Uh, mm -hmm. We have been given approval by a local university to offer the course for teachers so they can nice. renew their CEUs, right? So like, ooh, awesome. good marketing thing going on. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I had to sort of grapple with is from my academic background of courses look this way. Ah, yeah. But if it's a for-profit course, it's not going to look the same way because, of course, you're dealing with different audience and mm -hmm. you're, you're trying to condense a certain amount of information yeah, as well. Often. Mm -hmm. uh, so what is the difference between designing a course for an academic setting Ooh, and designing a course for a for-profit business? Ooh. Um, so I would say, like, the method and the technique is the same. Like, how can we get students through? Like, um, are we, are we scaffolding the material in the correct way? Like, where are the feedback loops? You know, um, what's the experience like, which I think is missing in a lot of places. But if you've taught online before as an educator, you know, in, in the, you know, public school system, um, that technique that we bring is, is awesome. Now, what's interesting about teaching in the like for-profit space and something I don't know. Something I've just been like, it's, there's a couple of things happening. There's only like so many products that you can use. So we all know that like the learning management system that we choose actually as a container for our, our courses, whether in an institution or for profit, um, limits us. Like it, it literally can make our experience. And so we, we only can do as much as the thing can do or accomplish. And so I was, um, I loved Canvas. I was using Canvas as I was on my way out and I was always a big fan of them for the last like five or six years before California adopted it statewide. But I love them versus Moodle or Blackboard, which I wanted to like just murder someone every time I signed in. Um, so I was into the like user experience, even just as a professor. Um, and the marketing tools that we have access to, the ones that take payment to get access, they have to have like different tools in place. And so what I'm finding is that in the for-profit space where you pay a like a, either a percentage of your course sales or a monthly price mm -hmm. to host your course, you know, they have to have a whole shopping cart situation. And there's like, obviously like a page that is selling the person on the product. And like, there's just stuff around selling that in an institution you don't have to worry about. So what I found was, is in the institution level, you know, ed tech, like, like technology around online learning is pretty advanced. And a lot of these marketing people aren't using the same, aren't giving you the same teaching tools that is very possible to, to have. And I loved the different tools that Canvas could do. I would have students like co-write stuff together. I would put them in group discussions. Like it was pretty cool, the stuff you could do with them. Um, and they just don't have those kind of capacities in these like for-profit kind of systems that are, that are being hosted. Yeah, you could host something on Canvas's free product, but you have to have the whole like paywall set up in the cart and like, could someone get access to the course without, you know, paying you first? It just gets a little bit messier. Um, 
And so, you know, going with one of these like marketing learning management systems is a choice. But I'll say this, now having been in the industry for two years, um, I, I really love Thinkific as a platform. Um, and they actually totally realize that student success matters, which is also funny. And, and but they're like, we've been, we're marketers who created a software and we don't know how to teach. So we actually literally don't know what teaching online looks like. And I was like, yep. <laughs> and so the tool itself isn't developed to create this like really cool learning experience. So, um, you know, that's right off the, out the bat is like, that's the, that is limiting in like what you can accomplish. But then if you get away from even just the software and you're just thinking about like what you were saying, like um, the amount of content potentially, like, you know, I think a lot of these people in the for-profit space just are like, oh, I'll just throw a video up and have a worksheet and I'm teaching and I have a course. Um, and to me, like, I think, I think it's becoming more about the experience. And um, I, again, I, I would still say though that like, you thinking about that as a teacher um, is already miles ahead of the typical person creating a digital course to sell. So I would think there's, I would say that there's less differences than you could think. I, I mean, there's a lot of freedom. Like, obviously, I think back to standards and like, you know, we had course outlines at every section of, of the of the content that we taught as our subject. And, um, you know, that was my standard I was to follow, but I had a lot of academic freedom as a professor. I, I do get to make a lot of choices about textbook use and, um, you know, how to get students from point A to point B. So, you know, I don't know if maybe college setting might be a little bit different in K through 12 and that we do have that academic freedom um, a little bit more. And so it fits a little into what it's like to design a course but I mean, essentially you get to do whatever you want to do. So it's very flexible. So it's just keeping in mind, I guess, the result that you're promising in the marketing material and the one you get them on the other side, that's always the thing that I'm like paying attention to. Like what is the transformation you're promising? Because then that's where we get into the selling and the, and the psychology stuff on the front. And that's where as an educator, I'm like, wait, like you're promising this and like your course doesn't get you that that's now that feels out of alignment that feels out of integrity so the educator and me like alarm bells but um but that's a constant battle i think just in marketing in general so if we're so focused on the marketing we're just trying to get people in it doesn't matter um and then you know they just imagine the bell curve is what their course is i'm just like you guys have no idea you know um so i think it's less on the design of the content and more on, um, yeah, I guess the context, which you're bringing up a little bit around what it's like to sell a course. Mm. And it's cool that you mentioned up, mentioned the platform to the actual deliverer mm. your course. Mm -hmm. so, uh, my day job is an instructional technologist. So in cool. that, I, I know a lot I've of seen it all <laughs> yeah. uh, learning management yeah. systems yeah. uh and so and i just got my cool certification in april and in that i had to design a course in canvas cool now when we started looking at okay on the business end what are we going to use mm. we looked at thinkific mm -hmm. teachable mm -hmm. uh i thought about Canvas and, and Schoology, because our school oh, yeah. has adopted Schoology. And then, of course, there's, you know, free Google Classroom, which mm -hmm. its organization is ridiculous. So I, I was like, okay, but it's free. Apparently, they're working on something in the secret back end, by the way. I, I saw Google. what they're working on, and it's still garbage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so much of their stuff has been garbage. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so that's a whole other conversation. But... You know, as you, you mentioned, when, when you're trying to go to use some of these established mm -hmm. learning management systems that from the educational side, we have the experience with, the mm -hmm. problem when using it in that corporate side, as you mentioned, is account creation and money. Because mm -hmm. how are yep. you going to take the money? Yep. And so... I was like, oh my gosh, I said, I don't want to do this just to do with that. And then mm -hmm. knowing my target audience, 
if I had to tell them you need to create an account here and then go here, no. and then maybe mm-hmm. go there, they're not, they're not going to be bothered. Yep. So I yep. said, okay, okay, let me use, then I boiled it down to Thinkific and Teachable. Mm-hmm. And, and our courses right now is on Thinkific. Cool. Uh, because I like the, I liked it. What I don't like is the teachers or your students cannot submit stuff. So mm-hmm. we had to do a workaround in mm-hmm. terms of putting a Google doc yep. in it and saying, you grab this and submit it this way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because I was like, I can't just like this course needs to have engagement. It needs to have. Yes. A, and that's a, what they're a, missing. And they don't realize they thought a, a course was like a video and a worksheet. Like, mm-hmm. but that's the thing is you're going to hand a worksheet to someone and, and then what they're just going to do it and not get any feedback. Like the whole, like even the concept of feedback is just like totally missing. I, I'm glad you went with Thinkific. I just, those two are the big like whatever they go head to head. Um, I just like the guys behind Thinkific, the people behind it. Um, and they're now their new mission of realizing that it's about student success and they're being very public about that. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely still some problems with the platform, but people like us, like educators like us could actually help them. And, um, I'm happy to introduce you to some of them. And I know, um, I also know some people that do some coding on the back end too that can make it actually really awesome. So, uh, but they are listening to people who know how to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you ask for something like a submission, which I've actually seen people ask for, um, they're, they're also starting to work on like splitting people into cohorts and like little things like that they're starting to like incorporate. And now they just need, they just don't know why and they don't know like the typical marketer who's made a typical course um, doesn't even know how to create a lesson plan that uses some of the cool features that they could they could have. And so I think there's a lot of growth for them and they're in it. They want, they're realizing how poor, you know, the completion rates are. And they're like, hey, like, yes, we want course creators to make money. And that's part of what we're doing. We want teachers mm-hmm. to be able to make money, but like, we also want the students to finish. Um, so that shift for them has been really cool. So um, they're great people too. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely like to talk to them because, you know, when you like we're, our course is on blended learning mm-hmm. and one of the first, of course, there's discussions and think if it has, this, you know, ways for them to have discussions. Mm-hmm. But the first assignment is for them to submit a blended learning lesson plan. Mm-hmm. And we were like, they can't the lesson plan. <laughs> Like, what are we going to do? So we had to find a workaround with that. And I'm just wondering, like, why wasn't... Why wasn't that even considered? Because people... Because you know why? I can tell you. And this is my guess. I mean, because people have been designing courses and making money on courses for a while now, right? Probably 10 or 15 years. So it's reaching some sort of level of maturity from the entrepreneur side. My guess is everyone talked about courses as being, quote unquote, passive income. And like, it was all about like have, you know, sipping a Mai Tai on the beach and like, oh my gosh, you can make sales while you're sleeping. So people are like, oh my gosh, I want to make a course. So all of a sudden everyone goes and makes a course. And then now people are starting to realize like, oh, there's a lot of crappy courses out there. And like, and the consumer is now more knowledgeable. They see the other side of this. Um, and so I think it came from that. Like all these people were marketers who just Mm -hmm. saw these other marketers, you know, leverage their knowledge into a course, which it's just like, we could go on about that. But so what happened was, is marketers designed these softwares, right? Or software designers designed it and they weren't teachers and they weren't even thinking about the purpose of what they were doing. But from the perspective of Thinkific and Teachable, I mean, the purpose was to help teachers sell courses. They didn't care what you did on the inside. (laughs) Like the money is like what they wanted to help you get, which I think is fine. Um, Yeah. I had a client who we put on Thinkific and she messages me. um, She teaches Facebook ads. She messages me. She's like, can you like reset a question when a student submits an answer? Cause they do have like short answer submissions. Mm -hmm. And I was like, huh, let me go check. And I popped in the back end. I'm like, nope, which you had to be able to do (laughs) 
in our world because a student would like mess up and their grades are dependent on it, but like, nope, not in Thinkific. So the student wasn't allowed to access the short answer again and like messed up. And so I was like, all right, so you're going to have to create a workflow around this and you might have to email them. And I'm like, cause it's going to happen again. And I'm messaging Thinkific and telling them to fix that because that's kind of crazy that you can't reset what a student has turned in because we all know weird stuff happens and they, you know, they, or they change their mind and it depends on how she set up her course too. But anyways, so there's little nuances like that, that only teachers really know. Um, and so it kind of makes sense, you know, the mind of the person who is designing it, they're not teachers, they're marketers. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. You see, you've just helped me create another side hustle and yeah. me approaching these companies and say, yes, an educator. Let me help you design. They're starting to hire people. Yep, yep, yep. In a way. Because I would think that if, if I were selling a photography course, mm -hmm. I would tell people, put together a portfolio. That would be sort of your final I'm telling assignment. you, the teacher doesn't want to read anything. That's the difference. Like these business owners think that a course means they don't have to do anything. And that's where I'm like, you're not a teacher then. You gave them a textbook. Like, <laughs> congratulations, you wrote a textbook that has some videos maybe. So I think it's that mindset though, that they went in going, oh, I don't wanna touch it. I don't wanna deal with students. Um, and they have this whole way of they, they, the way they talk about people who buy products that are lower prices too. It's like, oh, they're, they're just trying to like figure it out and they don't have any money. And I'm just like, they're trying to do it. They're trying to figure it out. Like, sure, maybe they can't afford your $25,000 a year mastermind, but that doesn't mean that they're not like trying to learn and what's the best way to get them to learn. And they just see it as I'm giving them something at this price point. So it's taken care of and it doesn't involve me. That's their mindset. I'm helping flip that and people are flipping that because they're realizing that, you know, it's just not good teaching. It's like not, it's not, it isn't teaching when you just put up a video, you know? So um, there is some awareness stuff that uh, people in the industry don't know. But as the, as the industry matures, they're realizing the value in it. The value of a customer who went through an amazing experience and how they're going to go tell everyone. That's really valuable. So it's pointing to that return on investment, I think, for entrepreneurs that helps them see that. Wow, 25,000. Yeah. Mastermind. Yeah. That's no. not even the biggest. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not doing it. And, and, and that makes me think about like how I'm pricing my courses because I know that mm -hmm. my audience are teachers and I mm -hmm. know what they make. Yep. And so for me, and when talking to my wife about how do we price these courses, mm -hmm. it's about, okay, it has to be enough to where we make money from. Yep. And that they commit. So yes. like there is a flip side of that. Yeah. Yes. Like if I gave you $5, like, eh, but if I gave you a hundred dollars, if I give you $200, like I'm going to show up. Like I obviously really care about solving yes. this problem. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I also want them to be able to afford it because exactly what we make every month. And so yep. and because this course is geared towards teachers in our state, mm -hmm. I know what they're making too. So mm -hmm. I don't want this course to be priced above what they can afford. Yeah. And I know that there's some entrepreneurs out there like, yo, my course is $5,000. Yep. And then yep. when they go, oh, I, look, I got, a, I got a deal for you. It's not going to be 5,000. It's going to be $4,700. And they're thinking that they're doing a great thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking it's still $4,700. A lot of money. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're, they're making a killing. Uh, yeah. I'm not here to knock folks' prices. I just know for me. No, sure. I just want to deliver a, a product that I can be proud of, that provides value mm -hmm. to the people that I work with, that, who are my colleagues, and will make an impact on their actual teaching yep. for practice that they can go back and take to their yep. students. Yep. Uh, so coming from academia, and, and of course, how did you learn the business side of entrepreneurship? Mm. See, that's what we don't know. Now, that's we, tough. right? We just talked about curriculum and uh -huh. design. We know that stuff. But mm -hmm. the business piece, lead generation, uh, mm -hmm. the whole email list and invoicing a lot. <laughs> and taxes and all Contracts, that. Contracts. Right? Yeah. Contracts. Mm -hmm. we, we don't know that those things. Mm -hmm. So... How did you learn the business side of entrepreneurship? And what, is, what are some of the common mistakes mm. that you see other academics having on the business side? 
Yeah. So how did I learn it? Um, I got some coaches and I got some courses. <laughs> so I bought these courses. I never spent 5000 but I did buy a $2,000 course. And that was one of the first kind of big purchases I made for my business. Um, and I also got a coach pretty early on. And I think that is an advantage of, um, you know, doing a side hustle is that if if you got your personal finances together and you, you've kind of handled and got a grasp on how much money is coming in from your you know, teaching salary, then the, what I just like remember early on just being like, I'm just gonna dump almost everything back in as much as I can um, super early on. But it is scary to make some of those decisions about what is the answer. And I think um, that is probably a whole other podcast episode. But, um, you know, I made some mistakes here and there too, which I can, I can jump into as well. But like really learning it, I think um, more than in academia, I, I think we have a fear of failure, right? Because the big F means you failed. Um, and I think, you know, people who go as far as to, you know, write a dissertation and get a doctorate and all of that, like, you know, there's definitely some, uh, some internal stuff, like, like, well, internal stuff going on, but like, and it's tied to external validation by somebody else. So mm -hmm. that is like what academia is built on, right? Is there are teachers who are giving you grades and then there are now are committees who are deciding whether or not you pass and there are tenure committees deciding whether or not you get tenure and there's people all hiring you deciding whether or not you're good enough. And that language of like, are you good enough? Like comes up a lot. And of course that's almost throughout life, right? Like in everything we do, but in academia, I think it's pretty prominent. So what happened to me early on in business, it was like, am I good enough to be doing business? And like, you know, I didn't get an MBA and then, or I didn't, I don't, um, you know, I'd never have, yeah, collected money from anyone before I would want to do it legally. And um, so my research brain kind of kicked in. And I think again, makes us really good entrepreneurs where we know, we know how to um, think critically, right? Which is something that's getting taught less and less in schools. But like when we're on the forefront of it, it's really important, right? And so we know that. So we can kind of seed out what's working and what's not. Um, but I bought a, you know, a course or two and I got somebody, I you know, paid somebody to guide me through the process who was a couple steps ahead and they coached me through to make me see what moves to make. And that was really helpful. And I pretty much had a coach or some version of like a mastermind where I, I have people a couple steps ahead of me who can tell me what they did and what worked. And that it helps. It, it helps. And so I learn from others. And that I think is a big part of teaching, right? We learn in community, we learn, um, you know, with each other, and we learn by ourselves, like in our own, um, our own markers of what our standards are, right? And our research that we do. So it was kind of a combination of all of that. But the resources are out there. And the resources out, are out there and are free in many cases. Mm -hmm. um, but me buying a course was it's A to B, I need this answer right now, and this is the solution. And I could go YouTube it, but there's something about signing up for a course for a semester that makes you commit. So um, I committed, and it's just deciding what you're committing on that really will move the needle forward that I think is tough in business. But um, I'm learning more by taking action, and that's the difference. And I think I was so scared of failure, the big capital F, because, you know, I was an academic, like you don't mess up, right? Like you're not supposed to, at least. The, mm -hmm. the growth mindset isn't there as much as we would like it in academia. And so um, learning and recognizing that failing in business wasn't really failure at all, but was just a lesson that we can get in like, oh, this didn't work and being okay with that. So a lot of, lot of personal development happening in running a business for sure. So let's get into academics means business. Mm, mm -hmm. I enjoy this podcast, people. Yay. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the name of your podcast, as I mentioned, and you also have a Facebook uh, community that you mm -hmm. start. What was the story behind starting your podcast? Who do you interview? Mm -hmm. And what do you hope your audience learns from your interviews? That's good. I could do a whole podcast episode about the story behind it. Um, the fastest answer is, uh, do you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is? Yes, the curse man. Yeah, the curse man. Yes. Don't love everything he says. I'm not, 
<laughs> definitely not every, you know, not into the hustle or whatever his whole thing is, you know. So take that with a grain of salt. But he's very popular on social media and he um, writes about putting out content and he's built these large companies. Um, anyways, I saw him at an event and I was able to ask him a question. And so I asked a question. It was basically like, should I go do and, you know, really stand out as this like online course creator for entrepreneurs and I have this way that I think I could do it. Or I also have this inner feeling that I wish I could help other people that are like me. And he's like, go do that right now. And, um, and then he was kind of like, I, you know, I was like, oh, but it's so easy. Kind of what you're bringing up. Like, it's so easy to sell to entrepreneurs. You don't want to sell the teachers. Like they, they don't have money or they don't want to buy. And he's like, I'm telling you, it's going to get a lot easier. And that like language was like, oh yeah, I'm, um, I'm evidence of something's happening, right? There's a lot of PhDs running around without jobs. There's a lot of part-time adjuncts that um, may never get that job. And then what, what do they do next? And it's like, oh, I could really help people. And it was just this like overwhelming feeling of like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And then even after I took pictures he took pictures with people and he like shook me and he's like, go do this right now. And so when I got home, I was like, what's the easiest thing I can do? Cause I'm not going to just like blow up the, the business. Cause this is my income now for both my husband and I, which I know I didn't bring up in the beginning, but we're both doing this. Um, who was also an academic PhD physics tenure track community college professor, <laughs> but no big deal. Um, but, uh, so we, I was just like, I just want to talk. Oh my gosh, there's more of me that like, it was just this, like, I want to get on the people. I want to get on the phone with people like Dr. Will, like let's hang out and talk about the craziness that is running a business and like knowing what it's like to teach and like, and be an educator and be an academic. Like, I just want to hang out with these people. Oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. And so the podcast was born out of that and just being like, I'm, I don't even want to sell anything. I don't even, like, I knew it's going to become more, but it was, I just want to talk to them and I just want to be in a Facebook group with them and I just want to hang out. Um, and so that, that is, it's the story. It's, it's telling the story like you do on your show. Similarly, it's like, how did you make these decisions? Like, what was going through your head? Like, what were you worried about? What were you, um, you know, what were your biggest fears around doing this? Or like, what, you know, what have you learned? Like, how can you, and that, it just flowed from that. And um, I just, I just want people to walk away going, like, as they listen to my podcast, I just want them to be, yeah, inspired to know that um, they're valuable, that all the work that they've put in is valuable and sometimes it may feel like if you keep it bottled up in an institution and delivering to, you know, a couple hundred students a semester or a year, um, that that might not feel like enough for you and that that's okay. And that, um, you know, making money isn't a bad thing. It's, again, still something I'm working through. Um, but those kind of things, like I just want them to know that there's another way, especially if they haven't found their job. Or especially if they're, you know, because in academia, there's a lot of, and well, and there probably is in K through 12 too, but there's a lot of abuse, like in so many ways in these departments with other faculty members and things happening. And um, uh, it's not necessarily the safest place for everybody. Um, and so just to let people know that there are other ways of being as an option and that, um, their PhD and that they studied some niche, you know, English lit thing or something is, is okay. Like there's skills behind that. Um, it, the only answer isn't just being a professor. And I think in academia, that's a very like, um, you know, that's like often why we did it was like, oh my gosh, I just want to teach this to others. And there are, I think there's, I think the ed education system is going to be shifting. And so this idea that the MOOCs, like, which I'm sure you were even involved in too, like even thinking back to MOOCs, like people want knowledge. Um, 
And maybe it doesn't have to be tied to some credentialed piece of paper. Like, and so my husband, you know, is uh, working on starting something around teaching in phys- teaching physics, um, like mainstream physics for the everyday person. Totally can find stuff on YouTube, but what if it was a community with a professor where you can ask him anything and, you know, that kind of thing. And I feel like people are thirsty for that knowledge. So even subject matter knowledge is something that's mm-hmm. sellable. And I think it's going to be more and more sellable. So yeah, just that reframe. I just want people to leave going like that's possible. And I'm not the only one who's ever thought this or felt uncomfortable at my school or bigger than my institution or something like that. Yes. And it's sad that universities, for the most part, do a disservice to those folks getting those doctoral degrees. Yes, that's not. And not the grad saying, system is a whole other conversation. Right? Yeah. And, and yep. In terms of career development, not saying, listen, mm-hmm. very few of you would be tenure track. We'll make it. Professors. Mm-hmm. So the vast majority of you need to figure out where to go. Will you work for a for-profit company and use your subject area knowledge with yep. uh, some of these textbook companies and help them create curriculum? Will you start your own business? Will you work for an ed tech company? Will you go into mm-hmm. government? Whatever mm-hmm. the case may be, but, but, but to get them the thinking of that entrepreneurial mindset of yep. don't wait to be chosen mm. by university because more than likely it is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yep. Because <laughs> I, I remember when I spoke to someone about uh, an adjunct position and then he gave me the salary for that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, part-time lecture teaching is very interesting how they've positioned it. I mean, that's a whole, uh, the uh, like, I and I specifically am in the community college system in California, which is large, but um, it's, it's sad because the state schools, they're, they're funded. So, you know, it is, it is the open education system where anyone can go back to school. Like, that's why I wanted to teach there. It was for everybody. And it was all about like, you know, moving forward and getting an education. Mm-hmm. Um, and our school, you know, our state was subsidizing that. And California has one of still one of the lower ends of how much it costs per unit to attend. And the state was paying for that. Um, and so what we're seeing happen is, Um, yeah, even the school that's supposed to be open access is starting to close doors and the faculty, um, you know, strong unions in lots of these places to have a predominant like tent, like full-time like workforce or teacher force. Um, and there's laws that California put into place that I think it's called the like 5150 or something where it's like 51% of the budget has to be spent on like teaching. And so we have all that stuff, but like we're teetering and like, and then, and not only that now at many institutions, there are 60 plus 60 plus percent are all part-time faculty. There are people are doing research. How does that impact the student when their teacher flies in, teaches and flies to the other school to make the ends meet because they don't have the one job. Um, And in my school, they didn't even pay adjuncts to have office hours. So there's literally a teacher who is teaching a class who doesn't even have availability for their students like after. Um, and that was just bonkers to me. Now every school makes different choices because they run their own budgets, but these are the things we're facing. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff where, you know, they need to figure that out. And what are those people going to do that? Like, yeah, put everything to that paid. And then like my generation is coming up with lots of student loan debt to get there too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so, you know, if they're not making ends meet and they're, you know, um, highly educated and highly, you know, they've gone through the school system in that case, they might have, you know, truckloads of debt (laughs) on top of being paid, like what ends up in many cases being minimum wage when you break it out of what they do every day. Um, and then the actual driving around per by campus and stuff. So, um, there's some structural things happening in the labor market that I'm just recognizing that this work that we're doing online, mm-hmm. um, making things accessible to help people do their jobs better, like what you're doing, helping, helping um, teachers in K through 12 classrooms, you know, apply, you know, your knowledge, how that's going to help them free up time for their family and all of that. I mean, that's a real 
positive and that's a real solution and problem that we're solving. So the education system is definitely shifting and changing. It's, it'll, you know, it'll be interesting. So I definitely feel like we're on to something here with us being involved in starting our own businesses because, you know, if people are going to start selling, you know, not for-profit college, because that's another whole other podcast that we could talk about. Um, But like, if they're starting to teach online and people are paying them, like, who should be in charge of what that looks like? I think teachers should. So we should be owning that um, and getting that business sense. You know, education has been a business for a long time, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, But yeah, and how can we keep public education, public education? That's like, so can you be making money and start a business and also believe that public education should be open and affordable and all of that? Yes. And so our voices are so important in this national conversation around that. Um, anyways, that's like a whole side thing, <laughs> but something I get fired up about. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So, yeah. you know, I recently I became a member of the AMB Facebook community. Oh, yeah. How are you using the community to spread the message of Ooh. entrepreneurship? That's a really good question. Um, I'm talking with my team um, a little bit about that, actually, like what is the future of that community? Um, you know, we created it, I want to say in like April. It hasn't been around too long. So my podcast has been around since January of 2018 as we're recording this. Um, and then I think I opened the group in April or May um, and started, you know, pushing people to the group on the podcast. And um, it's been fun. It's been It's been, it's in many cases, people feel like that's one of the only places they can post about specific things happening in their um, academic life that like, um, and so um, I want it to be a space where people feel like, oh, you know, only you guys will get this because yes, I'm running a business and like learning how to do webinars and setting up email campaigns and like this happened at my institution, like, and I feel like this is terrible. Um, and then we've also had like support happen where a woman decided not to um, submit for tenure review. She was at that point. And she's like, the amount of effort it would take me to submit for tenure review when I know I don't want to stay. And so there was this big conversation about should she do it or not? And she ended up deciding not to. She hasn't like officially left, but she's told the institution that she's pushing back her tenure review. Um, This like strongly worded cold email from her VP was just like, you have two options. It was like terrible sounding. And she's like, this is what I was just sent. And we're like, man. And so it's that kind of stuff where we're negotiating both worlds that I just want people to feel like, you know, asking about how do I pay for healthcare, right? When I used to have amazing healthcare and we decided not to, what am I doing for that? What does that look like? Just being a place of coming from a place of common identity, background experience, and helping each other build businesses because I do believe our knowledge is valuable and credentialed, educated, smart, professional people should be teaching some of the stuff we know and and not leaving it to these people who don't know how to do it. And so it's really important to me. Um, And so I think that I want us to uh, like lift each other up. I feel like it's a really important thing how it grows or how like the message gets out. You know, I'm learning about this community. It's got a little under 200 people. I'm learning about where they are in business. I'm not really sure how they're finding my podcast. Like, you know how it is to have a podcast. You just kind of like feel like you just hang out with people a couple of times. Then to know that there are other people listening is, is kind of a weird thing. And so I'm learning about my audience and how I can best support them and, um, you know, how we can use each other and help each other in this community. So it's a, it's a work in progress. Awesome. Awesome. This has been an awesome conversation and I just yes. can't wait to put this episode out people. Oh, yay. Uh, so before we go, what is your call to action for those entrepreneurs? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. Yes. Making me make some business calls right here. No, I'm yes. just kidding. <laughs> yes. uh, who, they want to sell courses mm. as part of their consulting business. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your call to action to them? And how can people work with you? 
Oh, great question. Um, yeah, I think the best thing, I mean, definitely check out my website, um, Lindsay M. I have my middle name initial. I lost lindsaypedia.com. I used to have it as a teacher. And then I was like, oh, Canvas is awesome. I don't need a website. And then someone stole it from me. Uh, so I <laughs> my middle initial. Uh, go buy your domain if you're listening to this now and you don't have a business. Do that right away. Uh, yeah, so check me out. Check out my website with our services that we're doing right now. We're, um, we really specialize in actually helping people that have audiences um, get a beta version of their course out there first, which is kind of like their test run. Um, and we teach the strategies to pull student feedback in order to create your finished product. Um, I don't want my people creating their courses before they're selling them. So um, that's something I learned through the work I did. So if you're interested in working on that, we can definitely help you. Um, if you're an academic um, or a teacher who's uh, just starting to grapple with this idea of entrepreneurship, um, you know, please join the group, actually. I would love to have you in there. There's a lot of people at all different stages, and we really, we help each other with bios and, um, you know, website copy, and we're just trying to, you know, give each other a leg up and, um, you know, share our messages with people, like how I would love to point people to, pe to people who are educated, running a business, and doing amazing work with some really strong content knowledge. So, um, you know, uh, being in that space, I think would be very helpful for a lot of people. I do do some coaching, um, on a very specific kind of, I don't have a ton of slots open for it, but I do do some coaching around kind of starting a business as an academic or transitioning out of academia. If you want, you know, someone to bounce ideas off of, um, I do do that too. Just reach out to me personally. I don't have it listed anywhere, but I have started working with people. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Doc, for coming on the show. Yay. Well, I got to have you on mine. So we got a book right after this. You on my, oh. my show. We would, oh, that'd would be, be fantastic. Amazing. That'd be yeah. fantastic. Now, people, you know how I do this. The video cast is going up on YouTube. I need you to subscribe, leave your comments. The podcast itself is going on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud. I need you to follow, subscribe, leave your comments. You know, your boy's trying to get Oprah on the show. And I need her to know that I'm doing it big around here. Mm -hmm. Again, I would like to thank you, Dr. Lindsay Padilla, for coming on the show. People, as always, invest in you. EDU, peace. <laughs>